Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting once more on your radio every Saturday at 1 p.m. here on Saga 960 AM and on Coastal Carolina Network. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, uh, phoning it in, as it were, uh, while we broadcast to the Nets. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, in Toronto. Uh, he's got his Maple Leafs hat on. I figured he's proud of something. David, how goes it? Oh, it's good. It's good. You got the wrong logo there. Oh, this sorry, the... Jays. Uh, <laughs> they're all the same Whoops. anyway. Whoops. They're all, they're all um, incredibly successful uh, sports franchises. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> Actually, the Jays were very successful in the early 90s. They went back-to-back World Series. That's the prime. Prime now. Yeah. World Series. Uh, yeah, I saw that. uh so I forget what it was. I think it was one of the basketball guys. He was, he was like, World Series? Are you serious? World Series? <laughs> uh, back-to-back world champs. Uh, yes, very true. Well, David, it's a, it's a fine day. We've entered the month of September. Um, the dog days of summer are perhaps winding down, but uh, I know both in the U.S. and Canada, people will be off uh, mostly on Monday. So, you know, people are tuned in and hopefully they're listening to the uh, the podcast version of this program, which they can always get by searching any podcast app, but also over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. Uh, David, I'm fresh from the amusement park. Uh, went to go do that. Took the girls down this morning and did a number of rides. You're very limited in what you can do with small children, but um, sometimes you can be surprised. And boy, let me tell you, with inflation, it's not a cheap affair. Yeah, I know uh, you're hitting the mute button there, David, but I think with uh, what, what's happening with the amusement parks now, at least here, is we don't have there, tokens. Yeah, we don't have tokens. But we, yeah. have, we have to pay cash for absolutely everything. Cash only. Yeah, I, I did. You, you'd think that after like four years of this, I would have figured out the mute button. I, I did have myself muted there. I was going to ask if they're tall enough to actually ride the rides because I remember as a kid, I'd go to Canada's Wonderland with my older sisters and it always sucked because they'd go on all the good rides and I was just too small. Well, technically, as long as the parent is with them, there's like no, I mean, we're bringing our year and a half year old um, on all the rides. As long oh, as the really? parent's there, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're not throwing not them like on the a, crazy they're not doing coaster. a super soaker <laughs> twister. I mean, there's one that we did that is a, you know, it, it does have the. Oh, nice. So we did do one of those and then a couple other small ones. Uh, yeah, kind of interesting. You know, you have this right in the middle of uh, downtown Vienna, not far. Nice little amusement park you can walk into. Uh, but yeah, man, things are expensive. Jeez, one ride, you know, four, five, six euros. Uh, it, yeah, pretty, that's not pretty cheap. Pretty much uh, bankrupt after half yeah. an afternoon. <laughs> it's the South Park skit, and it's gone. All your money is gone. And it's gone. And, you know, inflation, we talked about a long time Um you know why not? We'll uh, we'll play a little part of our interview with um, now Canadian uh, Conservative Party leader Pierre Poilievre, yes. uh, who talked about inflation very early on with us. Uh, I think back in twenty twenty one, and it's still nasty. And I'm noticing it more and more and more just with products that I and most of the time you can't really focus and hone in on it because you know from one day to the next it's not like it goes up, but. 
you haven't paid attention to something in six months and you look again, it's like, holy moly. Yeah, it's um, I, there are a lot of really good videos. I don't know what this trend is, but it's people essentially in their cars filming themselves after the great genre of North American um, online media. People yeah. ranting in their vehicles. <laughs> Basically. And it's people coming into the grocery store and just being like, I just paid 50 bucks for chicken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to ask what kind of grocery store they're going to, but I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a broad I trend mean, now. This is everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, unless you're going to Whole Foods, which there are not that many of. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of hurt going around across the board. I mean, I, there's a poll, I think it came out this morning. How, what percent of Canadians do you think are living paycheck to paycheck? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say 50%. 47%. Mm. You you got your hand on the dial there pretty good. Uh, well, I, I suffer alongside uh, these Canadians, uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> once I, I mean, I look at my own Canadian bank account and stuff that I've been paying and stuff is uh, particularly with exchange rates. Uh, boy. Uh, I can only imagine there. And, you know, let's talk about this trade stuff real quick. Because we are in a, in the U.S., we've got, uh, you know, sort of presidential election season starting up. Uh, We have the Biden admin and we have um, Trudeau as well. Everybody's kind of talking about trade, but the consensus now, you know, we had a NAFTA consensus in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's gone. That doesn't exist. Who is defending free trade anymore? It, it very, yeah, it's not politically fashionable. You just don't see it in the same way. And Trump like, made this, uh, this, you know, I guess policy proposal, if you can call it that, in his Tucker interview from last week that we also covered, uh, mentioning he's just going to put 10% on absolutely everything. Oh, and that would be a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. It would make, like... Um, I think it was the blog marginal revolution or something like that. Um, a couple of economists there ran the numbers on Trump's previous tariffs. Cause when he, whenever he talks about this, he starts bragging about whirlpool, like the company that makes dishwashers <laughs> and stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, like those tariffs saved them, et cetera, et cetera. But when you ran the numbers, it was like for every job saved, it was a net loss of like $800,000 in terms of like economic activity. It's like, so you literally could have in an alternative universe, just cut checks for a hundred thousand dollars and saved 700 grand per job. And yeah, the, like when uh, you look at the tax foundation had very good numbers on that too. Uh, yeah. I mean, the worst part about all of this is we can beat up on Trump all day, but it's exactly the same that the Biden admin is doing. And the Canadian government was supposed to, you know, negotiate something very good for cross-border trade. And that hasn't really been happening, as far as I know. No. Now they're bickering about softwood lumber again. Oh, boy. And I, feel, and I feel like every three months this comes up. And every three months I have to go on Twitter and say, hello, easy solution, trade dairy access for softwood lumber and this 30-year-old argument that we've been having forever and just say, okay, we'll get rid of supply management. Do ever do all of Canadian consumers is solid and say, okay, us, you can have access. And then you have to give us full access in regards to wood done. That's yeah. my deal. 
Might be the greatest deal in the history of deals. That's a good deal. It's a good deal. Uh, yeah, the um, I, I saw this as a staffer on the Republican. She is on the Commerce Committee, Senate Commerce, uh, basically saying that tariffs, yes, are taxes that raise prices on consumers and families, but they will keep in place the large tariffs on steel, aluminum, and uh, $335 billion <sighs> worth of other goods from China. Uh, he could, I mean, Biden could actually get rid of that tomorrow. Yep. These are unilaterally implemented, uh, but it ain't going to happen. And, you know, I, I miss the Trump that we saw last week. Everything. Let people buy everything. Let people buy everything, you know, cheaply. <laughs> it's, well, not, just, it's not happening. But this is the thing. It's just like the, he, he has no philosophical foundation. So you can have like a genuine moment where he's talking about cars and he's like, well, you know what? Like, I don't want to force people to buy electric vehicles. Why don't we just let people buy whatever they want? Let them buy everything. Great line. But then when it comes to like other things, it just, that mindset completely evaporates. It does. And just imagine. And yeah. I think it, it does. And it, it's also a huge slap in the face because while everybody is castigating him, Nothing is changing at the federal level anyway. So it's no. it's the same picture as uh, she says from the office. Jane. <laughs> no, uh, what's her know name? your meme. Pam. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, I'm going to go on a bit of a pivot here in terms of the hero U.S. politics needs right now. Oh, there's a couple directions you can go into here. And I you yeah. did not brief me on this, so... No, I uh, didn't. I don't know. Who I'm do surprised. You, who do you think I'm going to suggest? Uh, can you give me like a little hint? He's been in the news lately. He is a governor. Oh, yeah. And he you, follows you, me on Twitter. I think you've been drinking. I, I can see behind you you've got a fridge full of uh, the Jared Polis Kool-Aid that you've I been do. hawking down. I do. I do. And and so here's my take. So the, a kid in, in Colorado had a Gadsden flag, the Don't Tread on Me um, sticker or pin or whatever on his backpack. And the teachers were like, okay, you got to take that off. You got to go home because, like, people think that that's racist. Um, and Jared Polis responded very prominently both on uh, – on social media and on CNN. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, m maybe some bad people have, have taken that logo. But he's like, this is a symbol of the American Revolution. It's like, this is an iconic American icon. And he goes, yeah, it's associated with the Tea Party. But who cares if a student has a Tea Party pin on their bag? They're kids. This is the point. They're supposed to be exploring ideas. Um, and so to have a, a democratic governor proudly and kind of loudly push back um, on that, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed. And he's also had a couple of other good ones where talking about tax reform um, and like the need to like keep taxes low. Um, it's like, okay, 
all right, we're we're on the right track here. This guy this guy gets it. He's certainly better than what's on offer now. Sounds I, like you really cert- like Colorado, David. Let's go ahead and send you there as a correspondent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about that? Certainly, certainly better than war in Mexico, um, which seems to be like the Republican theme of the day, or uh, the status quo of whatever Biden's doing. <laughs> yeah, basically, and. Uh, you're definitely right that it's very refreshing to have this. I mean, everyone likes governors anyway, you know, much like provincial leaders, they're executives, you know, they have to implement policy. They also have checks and balances on what they're able to do. And it's, you know, it's admirable. Uh, I was watching the hurricane updates from Florida and uh, Ron DeSantis was pretty uh, nose to the business. You know, he was in the grind. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, cooking up all kinds of deals, you know, free Uber rides you can have your pets stay at the hotel. I think that's important for people. I don't know. I'm not a pet person. Uh, but yeah, he, yeah I mean, he had all kinds of things like that. Well, on the pet, well, we're going to, we'll have to talk about <laughs> Please this don't moment. open up a pet uh, Pandora's box at this moment. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll have no, no. Uh, when we come back from the break. Yeah, when I'll, we come I'll, back from our break, we'll discuss that here in a bit. Um, but before we do, uh, we do want to talk about the wildfire stuff. Uh, That's what I was going to go to. Yeah, there's an absolute garbage uh, post that was put up in the uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, you know, the same people who warn you about doomsday, uh, just about Canada's forests turning into a carbon bomb. Okay, buddy. (laughs) Uh, It's a very insane piece uh, that we'll have to go through. And we also have the wildfires uh, happening in Hawaii. Uh, also yep. in Greece, which are still ongoing, uh, some very interesting studies and things that we're learning from all of that. Um, essentially, more public policy failures left and right getting hit from all sides. Uh, it's uh, very frustrating because a lot of this stuff, David, you and I have written about, we've analyzed, we've um, put opinion out into the ether. Uh, things like the Online Media Act in Canada, we've tried to put things out and we see that the, the the boomerang, the pendulum swinging back, hitting mightily yep. everybody in their path. And uh, this, is the, this is the unfortunate part of what we do here at Consumer Choice Radio is document many of these uh, policy failures. So we'll hear yes. more about those uh, once we're back here on the program. Stay tuned to Consumer Choice Radio here on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. And uh, why not? Right there on your, uh, your trusty podcast app. I know you guys are subscribed. Uh, send it to your friends. Let's uh, keep the conversation. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. David, uh, before I mentioned pets, I was talking about... uh, the hurricanes down in Florida and this deal that um, Governor DeSantis was able to strike with some uh, hotel, I think the Hotel Association. Uh, and and this uh, this triggered something in your brain. Well, do you know what, what you the official guidance was for people fleeing the Northwest Territories about their pets? Ooh, because no. the airlines were still pretty restrictive in terms of the pets you could bring on board. Like no dogs over a certain size, whatever. And uh, the... Um, the the guidance was, this is as the wildfires were basically encircled Yellowknife, 15 kilometers away. Everyone has to flee 
all 30,000 people who lived there. And they're like, okay, leave your dogs in a room with no windows, two weeks worth of food, and put a note on your door that say, says there's dogs there. Can you imagine having to oh, make that Lord. call? And also at the same time, like, this is an evacuation. Like, throw out some of the trivial safety limitations on air travel. Like, this is an emergency. People are leaving. Like, load up the planes. Obviously, don't make it unsafe where they're too heavy. But let people bring... Yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to be a brutal flight. But people are not flying for comfort. <laughs> They're flying because wildfires, it was encroaching the city. Um, and Stuff it's like, that yeah, plane like a U.S. Air Force plane leaving Afghanistan. Stuff it what, full. What, that was the thing. It, like, that, it immediately reminded me of that, where it's like people are like, well, like, do those, all those people have seatbelts on the plane? It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're, they don't care. They're going to take... <laughs> they're going to take that flight out of Afghanistan. It's no different in Yellowknife. Um, I mean, yeah, you don't even, it's mostly cosmetic anyway. Yeah. Uh, but man, the fires and the, again, more public policy failures that we're seeing, especially in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the, uh, the Island of Maui. This is, um, you know, I, I always hate it when this stuff gets into the political realm and it's about what did one person say or another say, or did Joe Biden fall asleep? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did he talk about how his his cat and his Corvette almost burned down because of a kitchen <laughs> fire uh, to all these people who lost their homes? Yes, um, but still, oh there's a lot. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of shady stuff, you know, from the power company, from the uh, local bureaucrats who are in charge of the water, releasing the water, mm -hmm. um, the control burn policy anyway, and you know, there's. <sighs> We've written about forest management, David. We wrote about it in the Hamilton Spectator last year in December. Yep. There's been a lot of attacks on Canadian forests specifically, both in terms of managed forests by the Canadian Forest Service and the government, and also private loggers. And many of these institutions have been hamstrung in terms of trying to do controlled burns, forest management. Mm -hmm. Because people say, hey, you can't, done, you can't burn trees, you can't cut them down. What are you doing? And uh, the same thing is true in California. The same thing was true in Greece. Yeah. And as any firefighter would tell you, and I know all of you know firefighters in your social circles, uh, you have to do controlled burns to prevent this stuff from happening. Because yes. when you have something that's pre-burned, the fire stops. There's no more fuel. Well, And the weird thing is, and this is probably the most useful course I took in university. It was a natural disasters course. And you learned all about the inner workings of like the public policy response to natural disasters. And one of them was wildfires and a whole section of the course was all about the need to pre-burn. And while that might sound counterintuitive that if you don't, you essentially have like the floor of the forest become a tinderbox that like a lightning strike kilometers away can set off and then you get these huge huge fires um and i mean that's like third year university this is we're not rocket scientists 
Yeah. And uh, what we saw in Hawaii were very similar to that. Is them and there's a lot of articles that were written about this. You mm-hmm. know, it's, uh, it's about the racist past and all of that. So you had a lot of these very large plantations where people would grow things like sugar and pineapples and all mm-hmm. kinds of food, and um, essentially it, it no longer became profitable or amenable to be able to grow that. You know, there were a lot of taxes that were implemented by the state government that made yeah. it much more difficult to get the stuff out. Tariffs that are in place, a lot of protectionism. The Jones Act that makes it very expensive to ship yeah, this stuff once you have goodness. it. And a lot of these plantations had to close, and a lot of big developers came in, bought up a bunch of land or built hotels, and just kind of left those fields to rot and and stay there and mm-hmm. build up with all kinds of brush that, of course, it was going to light on fire. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. The, the, the thing that grinds my gears is that everybody uses all of these things to, like, support whatever their narrative is. So like with Maui, it was like, well, see, climate change, climate change caused the wildfire. And then you wait a couple days and it's like, oh, there's actually video of power lines falling in high winds and basically igniting the ground. And you're like, oh, okay, so that started at least a significant portion of the fire. And then it then comes out that the firefighters at the time said they had it contained and left the scene when they didn't. <laughs> and so now there are these class action lawsuits flying around about who's responsible. Um, and it's like for all of these major um, natural disasters, people are way too quick to be like, see, told you. Whatever my yes. preconceived notions are confirmed by the fact that this horrific thing has happened. And it's like, uh, it might be a little too quick on the trigger there, kids. And, you know, a lot of fires are not just spontaneous. Uh, David, there's a study that came out last year. Um, this was uh, conducted across uh, mostly looking at European forest fires. Mm-hmm. And it found, uh, here's a handy number, 96.5% of scientists agree. No, 96.5% of the burned area in Europe has had an anthropogenic cause, meaning humans have caused these fires. You know, whether it be a Smokey the Bear type situation, people camp in the woods and they forget to do the thing or. I mean, in some situations, it's as it's as silly as like someone threw a cigarette at a car window. And you had arson. You had we had arson fires in California. They they tried to cover that and it it became very politicized. I remember in um, parts of B.C., uh, whether or not that was true, because in yeah, the but, end, it really doesn't matter. It's also well, just the bad public policy that makes it worse so that people's houses burn down, well, too. And and this is the thing is that you have both sides being crazy, where you have one side being like, no, it's climate change, entirely climate change. And then you have the other side being like, no, it's Antifa lighting fires <laughs> to to support their narrative. And it's like, it could be both. <laughs> it could very like... The, the Maui um, the, the the Maui fire let's say started by power lines human error um, and made made worse let's say by a warming climate um, there has to be like a like just I feel like we're getting increasingly distant between two groups arguing past each other we're like see it was it was the power lines climate change isn't real and it's like whoa no <laughs> And oh, it doesn't matter that the power lines 
hap, uh, fell, like this would have happened anyway because of climate change. It's like, mm, also, no. Everything that I've read, and I, I went back and I read the IPCC report, God help me. Oh, boy. And um, what it says there about wildfires is that, look, it's not that wildfires are caused. They just will, in the long term, um, rage a bit more if things are drier and mm-hmm. there's inadequate public policy. And they do mean controlled burns and forest management, but they don't mention it. And it's also not mentioned in this post in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, the Doomsday Clock people. Uh, there's a, a Canadian fella named Barry Saf- Saxifrage. Oh, great name. Yeah. So he's at the National Observer, which I believe is a sort of a left-wing outlet. Is that right? Yeah, Dan? it is. Very so he's left. The, He's the resident climate analyst, and he wrote a piece called Managed to Death, How Canada Turned Its Forest into a Carbon Bomb. Mm. And uh, he he puts these numbers together. Uh, He's not a fan of industrial logging, uh, not a fan of forest management, land management at all, and uh, essentially tries to make the case that uh, Canada's forests are now just like emitting tons of CO2 into the atmosphere I don't know how any of this makes sense, because if we look at the numbers, the number of trees, tree space, forest, forest land, whatever, in the past 30 years in Canada has been basically flat, Mm -hmm. meaning it's been replaced every single year. They've actually done a good job. We don't have like entire ecosystems being disappeared and no, you know, no efforts to replant it. Uh, it's a very bizarre piece, and I think he he got very excited on the Excel making charts that makes it seem smart. Uh, but this is the same the same group that he's affiliated with released this uh, paper a while ago, stating that the logging industry and logging uh, generally as a practice emits more fossil fuels than all of the oil sands in Alberta. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So same people, same. Um, uh, illogical arguments and, and very straight. And look, we get it. You, it, It's a climate crisis, right? But the response has to be something reasonable, responsible. And I mean, he mentions in here like, well, ideally, we nobody would drive a car. Ideally, oh. nobody would do this. Oh, yeah, he goes that far. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so then at least he's... Uh, he's a bit honest. Moderately transparent in his insanity. Yeah. Uh, what else did he say? Oh, no burning of natural gas. What else did he say? He said a, a bunch of things. Yeah, it's like, we can't use any of this, get rid of all of it. And then he uses the term climate pollution, which is not a scientific term. This is not a true measurement. If I, I don't know. That's, I think, finagling a bit with the numbers. Uh, yeah, but but I, uh, if you have good resources on uh, climate pollution as a term in scientific study, please send those to me. Well, uh, and I'll take I'll take the I mean, if you're going to be a degrowther, at least be honest about it. And it would appear that this gentleman is. And so kudos to him for at least saying the quiet part out loud, because try <laughs> selling that to voters. Good luck. Being like, you know, yep. it's not like it gets cold in Canada or something. You mm. guys can just, you know. Yeah. I mean, actually, what are you going to do to heat your home? You can't use natural gas, can't burn wood. You just got to use a bunch of electricity from and from uh, from like from what? From the solar panels, 
sourced by Uyghur slave labor in Xinjiang that yes. that freeze over in the winter in Canada or the that windmills will power you know your city in Ontario for about a half an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You all get thirty minutes of heat at different intervals, and don't open the doors. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is what was interesting with the Republican debate um, that we had uh, last week, because climate change was a focus. And boy, Fox was really hammering these guys. You know, it's like, what's your climate plan? Yeah. (laughs) I've like never thought about it. And, you know, we all get it, but there's no answer. There's no. All right. Well, the Trudeau uh, version is, well, we just tax everybody and they therefore use less and then we save the world. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think the the jury the jury isn't out anymore on whether or not these policies have objectively worked. And there've been a couple of great question periods where the conservatives have said, okay, well, this is the plan. Have we reduced emissions? Have we met any of our targets? Are we on track to meet any of our targets? The answer is no. So if the policy didn't work, all you're doing is causing a lot of irritation and pain to make us feel good, like we're doing something about climate, um, while not doing anything serious about climate. And this is why, like, carbon tax. The biggest issue with the carbon tax is that at its current rate, it's too low to actually change behavior, but high enough to be quite a pain. And so it's like the perfect recipe of awful perfect recipe of awful that's our title david there we go uh, we're gonna go we're gonna go with that well we talked about people's pain uh we're gonna hear about inflation yep. from now conservative leader when he was on our program uh, a few years ago um so let's go to that for our final segment and uh david yeah let's catch up again next week until next week And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM and the Big Talker FM. Uh, it is with great pleasure that I introduce our next guest. He is the Member of Parliament for Carleton. He served as both the Minister of Democratic Reform and Minister of Employment and Social Development under Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and is currently the critic for jobs and industry. Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, Pierre Polyev. Good to be with you. Great, great. Well, um, you've been um, hammering away at some pretty key consumer topics, whether it be um, plastic policy or inflation and uh, all sorts of good stuffs. But I figured we'd start on we start on plastics because recently I saw a rather cheeky video um, of you asking someone testifying uh, or providing comment to to uh, committee what they would do or how the meeting would continue if you actually banned those plastic headsets like the one you're wearing right now. And so what's your take on what the government's doing, the SEPA toxic designation, the ban of certain products? Is this the right way to go or is there a better way for us to to deal with plastic waste? No and yes. No, it's not the right way to go. And yes, there's a better way. A quick recap, though, of that committee engagement. Uh, We were uh, having uh, hearings on the green recovery 
um, at industry committee and uh, an environmental activist came on and said she wanted to ban plastic products. Well, I happened to know what kind of headset she was wearing because all members, uh, all witnesses and MPs are issued the very same headset. They're mailed to their houses so that they can speak clearly enough for the French English transla translators to hear them. And I know this uh, headset, which I'm wearing now and she was wearing then, is made almost exclusively of plastic, with some exceptions, but it could not exist without plastic. And therefore, she could not be giving the very testimony to ban plastic that she was giving uh, through that headset uh, if her ban was in place. Now, it seems like a sort of a cheeky gotcha moment, but it's actually an illustrative of a larger truth. Uh, and that is uh, that uh, while plastics, for reasons I don't fully understand, have to have a bad reputation, uh, they are absolutely essential for our way of life. Uh, in the last year uh, of the COVID pandemic, uh, we have needed plastics more than ever. Uh, we're all just getting vaccinated. Well, the uh, the um, needles that uh, the vials that contain our not the vials, but the um, the tubes that contain the original um, vaccine through uh, are made of plastic. Uh, so too are the those those compression buttons made of plastic. Um, the you know, we're all having those pictures of tape, uh, you know, of the uh, Band-Aid or tape over uh, our uh, entry point and uh, the tape and the Band-Aids require plastic. Um, so, so you've got uh, EpiPens that require plastic. Uh, there are plastic in certain types of face masks. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, in other words, we could not have got through the pandemic without plastic. Uh, and the idea that we would drive plastic production out of Canada means that if there were ever another pandemic, we would be even more dependent on the West rest of the world to, to supply us with uh, essentials. You know, plastics are durable, they're hygienic, they're moldable, and they're one of the most recyclable uh, uh, things on planet Earth uh, because they can simply be melted down and remolded into something different. Uh, small additions and subtractions of chemical compounds can alter their chemistry and make a new product. Uh, so as the market demands one go from one thing to another, you can take the same uh, chemistry, chemistry and convert it into something different for another use. Uh, that is not true of almost all other products. So what we should be doing is encouraging Canada to become a super hub of plastic recycling. Um, and uh, you can basically reuse those molecules again and again and again and again for literally uh, generations. So our great-great-grandkids are still using the same plastic molecules that we uh, had manufactured in this generation. That is uh, something you can't say about almost any other product. So um, in other words, let's become a, a plastic recycling superpower instead of just driving production to other places and paying them to import their goods. So you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Canadian Member of Parliament P.I. Poilevre. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. And one of the most entertaining follows on social media in terms of uh, Anglosphere politicians, I think, who, who speak for a lot of us who can't be in those chambers or rooms uh, or locked in your offices, whatever it might be. Uh, I have a question here about inflation. Uh, you put out a, yes. a video not long ago about the inflation tax. I think it's something that many consumers don't necessarily understand. It's it's very high-winded. It's up in the clouds. Could you explain a bit what you mean by inflation tax and how you think the current government is leading Canadians astray on that? 
Well, the inflation tax is one of the oldest tricks in the book for emperors, kings, dictators, prime ministers, and presidents. I mean, nobody like nobody likes taxes, and therefore leaders don't like to be caught raising them. Uh, but by contrast, leaders love to spend other people's money. Um, so in the olden days, uh, what uh, kings and emperors used to do is just create more cash uh, in order to spend it. Uh, so, for example, I think of the of Henry VIII. Um, he is known for beheading his subjects, but he was also known for clipping his coins. Um, and um, most famously, he became known as Old Copper Nose, and that was because he was trying to make more and more British pounds, and a British pound at that time was actually a pound of silver. But he ran out of silver because he was making so many British pounds. So what did he do? He melted them down, and he reminted them entirely full of copper with a tiny layer of silver on the outside to trick his subjects into thinking that they were still getting a silver pound. But what would happen is his face was on, on the coin, and it faced outward rather than in a profile view. And what is the what what comes out the most? What protrudes the most? His nose, and so his nose would run against rub against the inside of people's pockets and money sacks, and the rest of his face would remain silver, but his nose would be exposed as copper. So you'd have the silver face and a red copper nose. Uh, the silver face was like the mask that a bank robber would wear when he's stealing from a bank. Well, this was the mask, the silver mask that a king was wearing when he was robbing his people. Uh, and of course, what happened is that the silver content went down by about 87% and prices in British pounds went up by about 87%, right? Because you had more coins chasing fewer goods. Well, the same thing happened uh, in the Weimar Republic in the 1920s when they printed cash. Uh, you needed a, a, a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a loaf of bread. You needed to order all your beer when you first got to the bar because by the end of the night, beer prices would be more expensive. Uh, and, and in more modern sense, in the 1970s, we saw Pierre Elliott Trudeau uh, and Richard Nixon and others print money, and they caused massive inflation, which led to higher interest rates. Right now, uh, we are experiencing 10-year highs in overall inflation, uh, the biggest housing price increases in Canadian history. Um, and that has coincided with the central bank increasing the money supply in Canada by $350 billion. Uh, that is a 20% increase, the biggest increase since 1974. Um, it began in March 2020 and continues right through to the present. And they've done it by buying up government debt in order to allow Trudeau to borrow money that he never would have been able to, to get on normal lending markets because no one would lend him that much money. And so the increase in the money supply has driven up asset prices and is beginning to drive up CPI consumer prices as well. Uh, the result, of course, is a, a, a massive wealth transfer from the working class wage earner to the wealthy uh, capitalist asset holder. If you own assets, uh, and, and, you know, big, valuable assets, well, you've gotten a lot richer because those assets have, have inflated in price. But if you just live off your wages, well, your wages are shrinking in real inflation-adjusted value, so you've had a pay cut. So what the inflation tax does, in addition to raising cash for the government, is it inflates the price of the things the rich own and that the poor must buy. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, as I've been following this, it, the conversation has shifted. It was first, inflation isn't happening. Then it was, inflation is just transitory, right. guys. It's just transitory. It's going to come yeah. and it's going to go. 
And now we're starting to see like the realization of, oh, it's here, and we're gonna it's gonna be maintained and it's gonna be reasonable and we're somehow not we're not gonna have to raise rates that bad. It's not gonna be that bad. Um, so it's just one of those things where we're kind of slowly seeing this play out in real time as um, some of us, with yourself included, have kind of forecasted. Um, another issue that that is it's related to the inflation discussion, but it's it's one of the ones that I haven't seen many really carry the banner for is housing prices. Um, it, it I mean I, I crunched some numbers today. I'm in the Greater Toronto area, and a, a house down the street from me or around the corner um, from from where we rent uh, essentially outperformed the top performing hedge fund from 2018 until today. So if you had money and you put it down as a down payment and you gave it to the the most powerful hedge fund in the world, you'd be poorer today with your money with that hedge fund than you would be otherwise if you had been able to buy that house. And for me, as someone who would maybe one day like to own a house, it just feels so um, discomforting because there's just no way, unless your wages skyrocket, there's no way to really get there. And so I wanted to pick your brain on what the federal government can do to help curb this issue of of kind of runaway housing prices and that 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 disparity and that gap between those who can afford and those who will probably never be able to afford a house. Well, it's not what the government can do, it's what the government must stop doing. Uh, the government is not failing to respond to rising housing prices, it is causing rising housing prices. Uh, the culprit is money printing. Uh, that's the main federal culprit. And I can prove it by looking at the data and the charts. So which, this is what's interesting. In March and April of 2020, when COVID hit, housing prices went down and they were on a sharp tra- downward trajectory. The major housing insurer in Canada, CMHC, predicted that the housing prices would drop 10 to 14 percent and why wouldn't they if the gdp is drop you know the gdp dropped by five and a half percent we lost 120 billion dollars of economic activity in 2020 you would expect that the result would be lower housing prices people have less wages with which to buy houses there's higher unemployment which means fewer people could qualify for a mortgage in the first place uh, you would just assume that housing prices would drop But the government started printing money. And it was only after that printed money hit the market that prices reversed and started going back up. So you have uh, March and April prices drop. All the central bank money pours in and the prices turn around and start going back up. Uh, And just for some symmetry here, from April 2020 to April 2021, mortgage lending went up by 41% and housing prices went up by 42%. So that can't be a coincidence. Now, why did mortgage lending go up by 42%? Well, it's because they were printing money and the money goes straight into the financial system. And right now, the, 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 because mortgages are insured by the government, it's the zero risk place for banks to lend out. If you're a banker and you have to choose between lending to an over uh, to, to someone to buy a million dollar home they can't afford, but which is backed up by government insurance, 
or to lend to a small business that would create jobs and long-term productivity, you're, there's no debate about it. You'd give the money, you'd lend the money to the homeowner because even if he defaults, the bank, the government through CMHC is going to back you up. So you've got a zero, you've got a zero risk rate yeah, of return. You don't get left holding the bag. And um, what what is effectively happening with CMHC, which is the second part of this, frankly, the scam, is that the homeowner gets the premium, the bank gets the profit, and the taxpayer gets the risk. Uh, the banks are the, are the only entity in the world that I'm aware of that gets to have insurance with no deductible and no premium. The premium is paid by the home buyer and the entire loss is paid by the taxpayer with no deductible for the insured party, which is the banks. So this is like a perfect system. And we don't, the Europeans don't have this. The Americans are getting away from it because it's a massive trillion dollar moral hazard. Whenever you separate risk and reward, uh, then you get massive risk taking, right? Because people say, I, I don't have the risk. I just get the profit. Yep. Yeah. Collectivizing private losses, which is about as, as bad as it gets in terms of government policy. Thank you very much, Pierre, for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. It's been a pleasure. We'll have you on again. Shortly. Great to be with you, David.